Unrelated Things. Greetings and welcome to episode number five of Unrelated Things. I've actually made it to month number two and episode number five. This week has been a bit tumultuous with lots of competing work issues pulling me in different directions, but I still made enough time to focus on unrelated things. I just might be serious about this project. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, thanks for joining me, and please go back and take a listen when you get a chance. If you've been along for the ride from the beginning, thank you very much for listening to Unrelated Things. I don't have any sponsors yet. If I had one, I would probably have something important to say here. But in lieu of a sponsor this week, here is another quote that I found online. The corporate grip on opinion in the United States is one of the wonders of the Western world. No first world country has ever managed to eliminate so entirely from its media all objectivity, much less dissent. And that was Gore Vidal. You can find out more about Unrelated Things or even make a donation at unrelatedthings.net. You can follow Unrelated Things on Twitter or on Facebook. On to the examination and the exhortation. Top pick. My top pick for this week is a game that I played on my iPad, iOS version of the game, but the game was was multi-platform and was available to be played on other uh, gaming consoles and other platforms as well. Uh, this game was on a lot of top 10 lists and, and top top games of the year lists last year in 2012, and I played it through, and I agree with those opinions that this was absolutely one of the best games of last year. And the game I'm talking about is The Walking Dead, a game by Telltale Games. And this is based on The Walking Dead, the same uh, graphic novel series that the television show The Walking Dead is based on. So it immerses you in a world which has been overrun by zombies, and you and a few other people who have not yet succumbed to the zombie virus are put into this setting and put into this world, and you are made to, to make different choices Um, in this world, and your choices have significant impacts. Here's a little blurb that was written online about the Walking Dead game. The living will have to survive amongst the dead in this game based on the Walking Dead, the widely acclaimed comic book series and television series. Across five dark and emotional episodes of gameplay, every decision and action you take can result in the entire story of the game changing around you. Play as Lee Everett, a convicted criminal who has been given a second chance at life in a world devastated by the undead. With corpses returning to life and survivors stopping at nothing to maintain their own safety, protecting an orphaned girl named Clementine may offer him redemption in a world gone to hell. Really was a a really great game to play, very engrossing story, good, good character development, really gets you kind of tied into the characters and who they all are, and there's a lot of great different characters. You play as the main character, Lee Everett, 
and all the choices that you make are the choices that he is faced with. Um, and he encounters, you know, probably a dozen people along the way through the gameplay and makes various choices which have impacts on all of those people around him. So really, really good. Good graphics. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a cross between choose your own adventure because you're giving you're given options to choose from when you interact with people. Um, so it's it's kind of on rails as far as that goes. And there's a little bit of action and a little bit of of action that you take. And the iOS version definitely could be different in regards to the action you take versus other platforms that this game was available on. But there was definitely some swiping and tapping involved as you take action in, in shooting and fighting off um, the zombies that you encounter. Uh, it is a, a five-episode game, and the episodes were sold individually as, as add-ons. So you would get the initial episode, which I believe was uh, about $5, and then you would buy the additional episodes on top of it. Um, all in all, it's probably around a $15 game on iOS. I don't know the exact prices that the game is running right now. It has been out for a while now, so there may have been some reduction in prices since I played it. But the gameplay was fun and, and really drew you in and made you made you want more. And the decisions that you make do have impact. The decisions don't drastically change the direction of the game, but it sends you down some different paths as you get to the final final conclusion and final destination. But you will get to that final destination no matter what paths you choose. You just may get there with a different group of people depending on the choices you make. Because one of the things that happens throughout this game is people die. Just like in the TV show, just like in the um, graphic novels, characters that you make connections with die. So it is just really good, really fun game to play. It is uh, rated mature or 17 plus, so it is not for all ages. Uh, it does have, you know, it, it includes violence and strong language. So definitely not a game for everyone, but a really compelling game. Uh, definitely the best game that I played in 2012. Roll up your trousers. It's time to wade into the news. So on we go to the shallow end of the news, and here's where we talk about those lighter stories that um, I've encountered in the news in the last week or so. Florida is pretty well known as the place where a lot of crazy things happen, and I'll have a story about a Florida woman in a minute, but there's been a competition lately in the Northeast between New Hampshire and upstate New York as who is going to be the Florida of the Northeast. A uh, story on in an earlier episode talked about the man in New Hampshire who tried to steal a ring from a jewelry store by swallowing the ring and how he was caught. So another story came out of New Hampshire um, this week, and there was a gentleman in New Hampshire who was at a carnival and started to play a carnival game called Tubs of Fun. So uh, Mr. Gribbom from New Hampshire 
in playing the game Tubs of Fun at a carnival in New England, lost his complete savings of $2,600 in trying to win an Xbox game. In his initial pass at this game, he lost $300 trying to trying to beat the game and trying to win those bigger and bigger and bigger prizes. He got so angry at losing $300 on this game that he he lost control of himself, I think. He went home and he got $2,300 that he had been saving um, for, for a rainy day. And he decided to go back and to make sure that he beat this game. So he went back with that $2,300 and continued and continued and continued to lose this game. Lost his entire savings on this game. He went back the following day and they did refund him $600, which is the amount that the carnival said that he spent on that game the day before. And he received at no extra cost the best prize that they were willing to give him, which was an enormous stuffed banana with dreadlocks and arms and legs. So he was so upset about this whole incident of him losing his own money uh, through his own foolishness that he reported to the police and he reported uh, fraud to the police on the part of the game, the, the, the purveyors of the game. So the police are now involved and it's too early to find out what's going to happen. This gentleman spent $2,600 of his life savings trying to win a game at a carnival in order to win an Xbox when, and it was an Xbox Connect, but currently on Amazon.com, you can get an Xbox Connect bundle for $419. So, Mr. Gribbum, you should have quit while you were behind and not dug deeper and deeper and deeper into that hole. But you do, on the bright side, keep New Hampshire in the running for being the Florida of the Northeast. This happened. And off to Florida now. A diamond worth $5,000 was accidentally swallowed by an 80-year-old woman in Tampa, Florida. How did this occur? Well, the owners of Continental Wholesale Diamonds heard that the Tampa Women's Club was raising money for the Champions for Children Kids on the Block charity. So they wanted to help. So not only did they donate a 1.03-carat a diamond to the charity, but they came up with the brilliant idea of pouring almost 400 flutes of champagne, placing a cubic zirconium diamond look-alike in all of them, but putting the real diamond in one of those glasses. The glasses were then auctioned off or sold for $20 a pop, and whoever ended up with the actual diamond would be able to keep that diamond worth about $5,000. So, of course, what could go wrong? Nothing could go wrong. Brilliant idea. So they auctioned off about 300 of these glasses, and one individual in that crowd, uh, an 80-year-old woman, took a sip of her champagne, you know, recognizing that the, the, the diamond and or cubic zirconia was there, but not thinking that she possibly would, 
would swallow it. And of course, she swallowed it. So after the whole thing, they, they searched through every cubic zirconian look-alike diamond that there was there, and they could not find the actual diamond. And they second-guessed themselves, and they wondered, and they said, what could possibly have happened? Could we have possibly not recognized the real diamond among all of these fake diamonds? And finally, the woman came forward and said, you know, oops, I accidentally swallowed one. You know, maybe that's the right one. And indeed, uh, after a procedure in the next day or two, um, the woman came back from the doctor's office, went straight to the jewelry store that had donated the diamond. And the diamond was still wrapped in the biohazard bag from the hospital when it came to the store. And as soon as they saw it, they realized, in fact, yes, it was the actual 1.03 carat diamond worth $5,000 that was donated to the fundraiser. So keeping Florida as the Florida of the U.S. was this Tampa woman. So thank you for your efforts in keeping Florida on top for the place in the U.S., where crazy news abound. And another thing. So up against uh, New Hampshire in the Northeast is upstate New York vying for the title of the Florida of the Northeast. And most recently in upstate New York, an an employee of the Walmart in Queensbury, New York, was arrested for allegedly engaging in prostitution in a store bathroom, according to the state police. The employee engaged in sex acts with other men for money in the bathroom of the store while working the overnight shift, officials said. He allegedly solicited meetings with would-be clients on Craigslist and arranged to meet them during his breaks. There is multitasking for you. Take a break from work and do do some illicit work on the side. State police said store officials became suspicious of his activity and notified the state police and an undercover officer arranged for a meeting with him at the store and arrested him when he agreed to perform a sex act for money. The employee was charged with prostitution and was released pending prosecution in Queensbury Town Court. I'm going to move on now. Here's a fantastic story about the employee of the month. A Papa John's pizza delivery driver was in southwest Atlanta and he had just gotten out of his Cadillac when two men pointed revolvers at him and told him to give up whatever he had. Allegedly, the two suspects then hopped in his car and drove off. So, carjacked by gunpoint, what would you do? This pizza delivery driver hadn't handed over the pizza that he had been holding, so he walked the food over to the house to make his delivery before... He ran to get some help. After he filled out an incident report with the police, he had a rather strange request. He wanted to be dropped off at a train station so he could head home instead of going back to Papa John's where he worked. The police said that he told them he wanted to wait to tell his boss about what had happened because he was afraid of getting fired. Afraid of getting fired? What kind of boss does this gentleman have? This gentleman should be employee of the month for continuing to deliver pizza as part of his job 
immediately after being carjacked by gunpoint. Kudos to you, pizza delivery delivery man in Atlanta. One more thing. And on another note, here is definitely not the employee of the month. In fact, this is probably the employee of the five minutes. In the history, this is a story uh, online posted by ABC News at gma.yahoo.com. And here it goes. In the history of first days on the job, A.J. Clementi's won't soon be forgotten. The newly hired anchor for North Dakota NBC affiliate KFYR was fired Monday, one day after opening his first day on the air, with a string of bleeped words when he didn't realize his microphone was on. Clementi let loose with his choice words, including an F-bomb, on air Sunday night, just as his now former co-anchor, Van Tieu, introduced him to viewers as the nation's newest weekend anchor. Tieu tried to redeem the segment by allowing Clementi to introduce himself to the viewers, but that didn't go so well as Clementi struggled to string his biography together. That couldn't have gone any worse, Clementi tweeted afterward, acknowledging his rookie mistake of rehearsing his material without realizing his microphone was on. But things did get worse. Just hours later, the station fired him. The clip of this of, of his uh, curse-laden entry into the anchor anchor desk world um, was posted and flew around Twitter. And flew around uh, YouTube, most likely. This, this doesn't say specifically that it was posted on YouTube, but I'm sure you can find it there now. On the KFYR TV Facebook page, where the station's news director posted an apology to viewers Sunday night, more than 1,500 people wrote in, most asking the station to reconsider their decision. The kid screwed up big time, but he shouldn't have have to have his early career ruined because of it, especially after moving all the way to North Dakota from West Virginia, wrote one user. The news itself is way more offensive than AJ's language, wrote another, adding, free AJ. So a little support for Mr. AJ Clementi, who was fired after his debut with full profanity, on KFYR, North Dakota NBC affiliate. Unrelated thing. Finally, in the shallow end, a story by the Associated Press and published in the um, Christian Science Monitor at csmonitor.com. A tiger escaped after its turn in the ring Saturday at the Isis Shrine Circus in Salina, Kansas. Staff members blocked off the concourses at the Bicentennial Center as the tiger wandered around and wandered into the bathroom where one of the doors was blockaded. About the same time, Jenna Kreebel decided she needed to use the restroom. When she walked in the other door that hadn't yet been blocked off, she found the tiger standing about two feet away. You don't expect to go into a bathroom door and have it shut behind you and see a tiger walking toward you, Kreebel said. Once she saw the tiger, I'm sure she knew to go the other way, Chris Bird, manager of the Bicentennial Center, said. Overall, it was a scary, surreal moment. I'm glad no one was hurt or injured. 
The tiger was recaptured within minutes of its escape, and it was returned to its enclosure. Creeble said she didn't scream or run because she is trained to stay calm. She's trained as a social worker. Looking back, it was a scary ordeal, she said. At the time, I was thinking I just needed to get out. But Creeble said her three-year-old daughter had a different reaction. My daughter wanted to know if it had washed its hands, Creeble said. That was her only concern. I think that shows the thoughts of children and that they wouldn't have known there was danger. But let's kind of get all that fun, quirky stuff out of there. Hold on tight. We're headed for the deep end. On to the deep end of the news. Just a couple stories here in the deep end this week. And as we were watching the news of the aftermath of the bombings and its impacts in Boston and the aftermath of the explosion of the fertilizer plant and its its death toll and injury toll down in West Texas, on the other side of the world, a similar story was playing out. This is a story that was from Reuters.com by Ruma Paul and Sarah Jewel Kadir. Rescue officials in Bangladesh said on Tuesday that they had given up hope of finding more survivors from a garment factory complex that collapsed, killing hundreds. About 2,500 people were rescued from the ruins of the building, which housed several factories on the upper floors, but hundreds remain unaccounted for. Officials in Bangladesh have said the eight-story complex had been built on swampy ground without the correct permits, and more than 3,000 workers, most of them young women, entered the building in the morning on Wednesday last week, despite warnings that it was structurally unsafe. Yeah, the warnings came and the building had been evacuated the day before after large cracks had appeared in the structure. It was inspected, and somebody gave the go-ahead for the workers to return back to the building on the day that it collapsed. At least 390 people have been confirmed dead in what was just the latest incident to raise serious questions about worker safety and low wages in the poor South Asian country, which relies on garments for 80% of its exports. It's the, it's the second largest exporter of garments in the world behind China. Representatives of major international garment buyers, some facing sharp criticism in their home markets for doing too little to safeguard the mostly female workers making their clothes, met with industry representatives on Monday and agreed to form a joint panel to put together a new safety plan. And there were some of those companies that immediately agreed to donate money to support the families of this terrible tragedy. There were a, a dozen plus uh, companies that were tied either by direct knowledge or by labels found in the rubble um, to this particular factory, including Walmart, Children's Place, Dress Barn, Benetton, and Joe Fresh, among others. This collapse was the third major industrial incident in five months in Bangladesh. Uh, in November, there was a fire at the 
Tazreen Fashion Factory in a suburb of Dhaka, which killed 112 people. So as the world clamors and and produces and consumes inexpensive and expensive garments produced as often inexpensively as is possible, those decisions that we make have significant impacts um, around the world because of the global economy and because of where, where we source our products. So what we do wherever we are has, has far-reaching impacts. I think you just nailed it. I'm going to move on now. So during the first two years of the recovery from the recession a few years ago, 93% of Americans continued to get poorer. The bottom 93% lost 4% of their net worth during 2009 to 2011, while the wealthiest 7% increased their net wealth by 28%. This story was from Business Insider, written by Megan Durson. Even as the U.S. economy began to rebound from the Great Recession, only the highest-earning households in America actually felt the difference. I think that's not entirely true. I think the lowest-earning households felt the difference. They just didn't feel the the quote-unquote rebound from the Great Recession. They continued to feel the Great Recession. The richest 7% of American households saw their net worth grow by 28% to a whopping $3.2 million between 2009 to 2011, according to the Pew Research Center. In contrast, 93% of households lost money. Average household net worth for this group fell by 4% during the same period, down to about an average of $133,000 per household. Why the huge discrepancy? Basically, it comes down to the ability and the way that the wealthy invest their earnings as opposed to how the less wealthy invest their money. The rich basically invest in the stock market, and that that has recovered at a much different rate than where the poor generally put most of their money. The lower, the lower, the the other 93% of households tend to tie up most of their money in real estate through home purchases and mortgages, which took a huge hit during the recession and has been the slowest to recover. So as the recovery turns on and the rich get richer, the rest of the U.S. continues to lose wealth. Because TV is so good. There's a Chinese bootleg version of the AMC series Breaking Bad. Great program. And whether or not it was intentionally designed to be confusing to obscure the fact that it was a bootleg version, or whether it was just 
uh, well-intentioned but misdirected production of this particular uh, bootleg DVD case, um, it really it really turned out to be rather humorous. So the Chinese bootleg version of Breaking Bad is titled Break So Bad with the English subtitle Danger Funny and a great picture of Mr. Brian Cranston on the front cover. However, it is a picture of Brian Cranston from his previous role in his previous series, Malcolm in the Middle, as Malcolm's father. Not only that, but the picture on the back cover includes Brian Cranston as Malcolm's father and Jane Kaczmarek, who played the role of Malcolm's mother on Malcolm in the Middle, another really great series. Both highly recommended that you watch, if you haven't, uh, Malcolm in the Middle series for its quirky humor and Breaking Bad for its, its intense look at human degeneration. Um, so the Chinese characters on the English cover has this to say. With the cancerous concern, lonely man must use chemistry skill in making most potent of drugs methamphetamine. Danger and serious threat comes to man's family to bring his to life to serious impact. I think the best synopsis of Breaking Bad that I have ever read. You track me across three states, and then you get us lost on the way home. Not lost, just taking the scenic route. Dog! You call this protective custody? U.S. Marshal Jack Carter just made an unexpected stop in the town of Eureka. Dad, have you seen Deliverance? I'm guessing you guys don't get AAA out here. No, we, we have Henry. How long have you been in the tow business? Oh, I don't do this for a living. I do this for fun. I was a, an engineer. I was in trains? Space shuttles. You may be here a while. This is in Madison County, and you're definitely not Clint Eastwood. Yeah. A place where the streets are quiet. The locals are friendly. Will your wife be joining you? Not likely. Uh, we're separated. Is it the sex? Excuse me? And everyone is too smart for their own good. What was that explosion? What explosion? I didn't hear anything. The Sci-Fi Channel presents an all-new original series. Where are you taking the area 51? Please. They wish they had our security. Slow down. What are you doing? Eureka. You will be charged with treason if you tell anyone what you see here. I want this handled quickly and quietly. Sometimes the smallest towns... This town is anything but... <laughs> ...have the biggest secrets. Well, you must find all of this a bit shocking. Well, I'm from L.A. Nothing shocks me. Well, almost nothing. Welcome to Eureka.
It's a tech thing. According to Cult of Mac, a story written by Vanil, free chat app messaging has officially overtaken SMS in popularity. Carriers have made a killing over the last decade by charging customers absurd rates on SMS texting plans. But the times are changing. According to a report from Informa, 19 billion messages were sent per day on chat apps in 2012, compared to 17.6 billion via SMS text. Because fewer people are sending texts, a separate research firm, Ovum, estimates that more than $23 billion of revenue was lost by the carriers. Text messaging is an enormous revenue stream for the phone, the cell phone carriers. The shift away from SMS is probably going to have a big impact on the amount of revenue mobile carriers are able to generate, but for now, SMS will still remain a key player in the sector. SMS revenue is expected to grow to $127 billion by the year 2016, while it's also projected that nearly 50 billion messages will be sent using apps in 2014, compared to just over 21 billion messages sent through SMS text. So a big shift in away from texting and away from texts that, that are charged, SMS texts that are charged for by the major carriers to free solutions that run through the internet and bypass the carrier networks. Google Fiber has been in the news for quite some time. Uh, Google Fiber, their original first project to deliver um, gigabit internet service to a, a community was in Kansas City, and Google Fiber just announced that they were going to make Austin their second uh, place to have to to deliver Google Fiber and gigabit internet service and also is working with a town in California that I cannot recall who had already begun their own um, fiber system and Google is going to take over and expand that particular system. So Brittany Hillen wrote in Slash Gear, many are drooling over Google Fiber dreaming of ultra-fast downloads and uploads that are zipped off into cyberspace in the blink of an eye. While Google Fiber, Google's fiber network is certainly nice, every now and again a new player emerges to remind us that it could be better. Such is the case the Vermont Telephone Company, which is offering state residents gigabit internet for $35 a month. Vermont Telephone Company is a rural business that serves about 17,500 homes, of which 600 so far have subscribed to the ISP's gigabit internet offering. The service went live this month and has one very notable feature over other offerings. It costs only $35 per month. That is half the monthly fee charged by Google for its Google Fiber network. How does a small company manage to afford the installation of a fiber network, especially in light of the 
low monthly charge, primarily via federal stimulus awards to the tune of $94 million. The funds were used by Vermont Telephone Company to set up 1,200 miles of fiber to multiple rural communities, to multiple rural counties in the state, a process that took about a year. Those who aren't currently in the locations being serviced by the fiber network should be by the end of this year. I currently live in Vermont, so it's great to see this story come out of Vermont. It's great to see high-speed internet and and fiber networks expanding um, because of the speed that they provide in delivering um, what we are are uploading and downloading via the internet, you know, back and forth. Um, Vermont Telephone Company does not cover the entire state, and I unfortunately live in an area that is not covered and not part of Vermont Telephone Company's service area and will not be able to take advantage of this anytime soon. So kudos to Vermont Telephone Company for getting this grant money and and installing this fiber in in a very rural area um, and bringing, you know, fiber network internet service to the people of Vermont. So on to some Apple news. There's a lot of Apple stories and Apple tidbits that I have this week. More costly than a cup of coffee at Starbucks is Coffee with Tim Cook. Coffee with Tim Cook is now valued at $600,000. Bidding on the charity auction for a coffee meeting with Tim Cook at Apple's headquarters has nearly doubled the previous record for a Charity Buzz experience auction, which was set last year when someone paid $255,000 to spend a day with Bill Clinton. A whole day for $255,000 with Bill Clinton. And Tim Cook is auctioning off 30 to 60 minute block of time to share a cup of coffee. And that auction has surpassed, or has attained at least, $600,000. The auction for Coffee with Cook, which is part of a group of of roughly 100 celebrity auctions supporting the RFK Center for Justice and Human Rights, will see the winner and the guests travel at their own expense to Apple headquarters to meet with Cook for 30 to 60 minutes over coffee on a mutually agreed-upon date. Kudos to Tim Cook for donating this prize to the uh, charity event, raising a ton of money um, for this particular charity, which is fantastic. Kudos to the bidder for bidding that up to over to $600,000. And enjoy your 60 minutes with Tim Cook. Alisha Uzmanov, or Uzmanov, Russia's wealthiest man, who has an estimated net worth of $19 billion dollars, recently invested $100 million in Apple, believing strongly that the stock will rebound. And Apple's stock has taken a lot of hits over the last several months, going from a high of over $700 down to a low of close to $400. So Mr. Uzmanov explained in an interview with Bloomberg, I believe in the future of this company even after Steve Jobs. When the company 
lost $100 billion of its market value, it was a good time to buy its shares, as the capitalization should rebound. Usmanov highlighted that Apple's intention to purchase back $60 billion of its own shares and increase its quarterly dividend make Apple a very promising investment. And indeed, after his $100 million investment in Apple stock, the Apple stock price has begun to increase due to more faith from the market that Apple is making some moves to continue its profitability and to and to bolster its stock prices. So six years after it came onto the scene, Apple is going to officially drop support for the original iPhone on June 11th, 2013. Apple's original iPhone, the device that reshaped the smartphone market forever, is about to officially be declared obsolete at Apple retail stores, according to a story on MacTrast.com. Starting June 11th, 2013, Apple will officially drop support for the device at Apple stores, meaning that Apple stores will no longer repair or replace devices, even at customer cost, when that day finally arrives. So it is becoming obsolete. The, the original iPhone, of which I still own, and don't use regularly, but still occasionally use um, my original iPhone. It still operates as well as it ever did. I do not currently use it as a phone and have it hooked up to my AT&T cell service, but use it over Wi-Fi. Uh, it, it functions exactly the way it did when it first came out or maybe even better than when it first came out, because it did get revisions of its initial iOS software and does run iOS software version 3.1.3, I believe is the most recent update or the last update to iOS that continued to function on the original iPhone. And we are now currently up to iOS 6.1.something or, or higher uh, for the current iPhone 5. So, sorry, poor original iPhone. You've served us well. It's time for you to retire. Your repa uh, repair days through the Apple Store have come to an end. You'll have to find other vendors to get repaired in the future. It's a sign of the end times. So faster than it took me to read that last story, uh, tickets to WWDC, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference uh, 2013, went on sale, and Apple announced when those were going on sale, and they sold out in record time. Uh, let's see, a couple years ago, it took a couple days for the WWDC tickets to sell out. Last year, tickets to WWDC sold out in a record two hours. And most people did expect them to move even faster this year. The 
Apple developer community is expanding and there are a lot of people that would love to get FaceTime with some Apple engineers at the WWDC. Tickets this for this year's WWDC sold out in under two minutes. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. So faster than it than it takes you to order tickets from Ticketmaster online, most of these or all of these tickets for WWDC were sold out. Apple sells about 5,000 tickets to WWDC, and it gives people FaceTime with engineers from Apple. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity for developers, but also an expensive opportunity for developers. I believe the tickets cost about $1,500 each, and Apple put a lot of restrictions on ticket purchasing. Tickets needed to be bought one at a time by individuals. A company could purchase five with the same credit card, but each individual would have to log in separately from those five purchases to actually make the purchase. So flying off the shelves faster than ever, WWDC tickets this year. According to another story on MacTrast.com by J. Glenn Kunzler, Consumer Reports has released the results of its annual computer tech support survey, and it shows that Apple beat its own score from last year while besting every other major computer manufacturer. And Consumer Reports said, quote, The company scored far higher than the other big companies for the elements that make for successful online and phone support. Ease of contacting staff, clarity of advice, technical knowledge, patience, and time for follow-up. Overall, Apple rated 86 out of 100, rating a very satisfied. The next closest name brand was Lenovo with 63 out of 100, which equates to fairly well satisfied. So a big increase over the next closest name brand, um, Apple rating 86 out of 100, on the Consumer Reports survey of PC tech support. And another thing. iTunes is 10 years old. According to Guardian.co.uk, story written by Charles Arthur, uh, he gave a little background on the iTunes launch, which I found interesting, so I'm just going to read through his opening to this particular story on the 10th anniversary of iTunes. Steve Jobs put a new slide up on the huge screen. Quote, we started about a year and a half ago to create a music store, the Apple chief executive told the audience. That meant we have to go and negotiate with the big five music companies. Now, before we did this, I was reminded of a quote from Hunter S. Thompson about the music industry. He looked up at the screen In giant letters, it read, The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. Jobs read it aloud and then paused to let the slide's final line appear. There's also a negative side. Laughter from the audience. So I didn't know what to expect, Jobs added. 
It was 28 April 2003, and Jobs was taking Apple into entirely new territory. Its iPod music player was just 18 months old, but after years of developing hardware and software, the company was now getting into services, specifically selling music. It was a huge gamble, but one Jobs believed in. Fast forward 10 years, and the iTunes music store has become, for Apple at least, a money trench of imposing proportions, generating $4.1 billion of revenue in the most recent quarter, which keeps it comfortably the largest music retailer in the world. It has more than 435 million registered users, and people keep buying songs at a steady pace. The numbers are jaw-dropping. More than 25 billion songs sold, 35 million songs in the catalog, available in 119 countries, and more than 200 million people using its iTunes Match service, which lets them store their music library on Apple's servers. So that's the opening of the story by Charles Arthur and Guardian UK, guardian.co.uk, titled iTunes is 10 years old today. Was it the best idea Apple ever had? And it has transformed Apple, and it has trans- transformed the music business and music sales and had a huge impact on on how a lot of us buy music and listen to our music. So after the earnings call from Apple a week and a half ago or so, uh, the Macalope had some commentary on the commentary. This is what the Macalope had to say, 14% growth is the new going out of business for Apple. Let the Macalope be clear here. Apple's results were not stellar. Profit was down, and the company has indicated that it'll be a little while before it announces new products. That's not great news. It is also not cause to light yourself on fire and jump out the window. Or, in the case of the steely-eyed core of modern Apple analysts, Try to light other people on fire and push them out the window. My featured podcast of the week for episode number five of Unrelated Things is Tech News Today. Tech News Today is a great daily program uh, on tech news. It is produced by Twit. Is you can find that at twit.tv. And on it, Tom Merritt is host, along with co-host Sarah Lane and Ayaz Akhtar and other guest hosts that they bring in at different times. And you can check out Tech News Today, and based on the little blurb on their site, you can get up to speed with a fun and friendly ride through the need-to-know tech news of the day. And they do a good job bringing up tech news of the day in a great format. Uh, Some recent episodes have included stories such as Apple ripping off Microsoft's design sense, tablets dead in five years, fab gets physical, the scariest part of the living social hack, is Google now for iOS any good? SMS is dying. Details on the next Xbox. Smartphones beat dumb phones. 
and Microsoft's Android Switch app. So they cover all different areas and all different aspects of the tech news, all the big names, some of the little names, and whatever is going on. They have some key feature stories. They have the top 10 items of the day. They have the news views. They have feedback from listeners, people who write in. Uh, It's a really well-made and well-produced daily podcast about the tech news. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Aya Zaktar. And I'm Alex Gumpel. And Alex Gumpel is with us for only two more days, no. Jason. No. Well, Monday. We'll be happy to see Jason back. Yay. We'll be... Listen, Alex, he's been doing a great job. Let's keep you up to date on the tech news in the world. Start with the top 10 stories of the day in the news feed. Facebook reported earnings Wednesday. The good news, revenue jumped 38% year over year, beating expectations. The bad news, earnings per share were flat at 12 cents, missing expectations of 13 cents a share. Monthly active users rose 20%. I highly recommend that you go check out Tech News Today if you are interested in technology. So I hesitate to call this app my app of the week because in no way is my discussion of this app an endorsement of this app. Um, But it is an app that caught my attention because of the attention it was getting. So last week, the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the U.S. labeled the app Bang With Friends the evilest app ever. The premise for the app is that a Facebook user sign on to the social media site. It won't show up on your newsfeed or profile, but you'll be able to see who is already using the app when signing up. Future users will be able to see that you've signed up too. Next, you select the Facebook friends that you'd like to bang. Yes, that you'd like to bang. This is this lowbrow. They won't know that you want to bang them unless they sign up and also indicate they are interested in banging you, too. Thanks to znews.india.com for publishing this story so I could read it and not have to write it. According to an English daily, once both parties express interest, the site will send both of them an email notifying that the other is ready to rumble and the rest is up to you. I couldn't write this if I wanted to. And it reads and sounds like an April Fool's joke gone bad. But this original story was published on February the 12th, 2013. So if it, if it was a joke, it was a very early April Fool's. After just being a week old, its creators claim to have attracted 260,000 users and facilitated over 15,000 connections. The Bang With Friends Facebook page now has over 13,000 likes. And recently, the Bang With Friends company started to raise funds, and they, they started a $1 million fundraising campaign to get venture capital to invest in their app and in their company. And they have been pretty successful so far in finding investors. So once again, 
just an app that came up in the news that I found interesting that I in no way, shape, or form have tried or endorse. So take it as you will. As a bit of news, I am passing along. The evilest app ever, according to the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Bang With Friends. And for the tweet of the week, the tweet of the week is from Mr. Scott Fletcher. And Mr. Scott Fletcher tweeted this. I am a font of knowledge, but unfortunately, I'm Comic Sans. And crowdfunding in the news this week. Four years ago, this week, Kickstarter launched its system on the internet. It was launched by Perry Chen, Yancey Strickler, and Charles Adler. Kickstarter-empowered artists, musicians, designers, filmmakers, graphic novelists to fund their creative projects by pitching and appealing directly to the masses. So on the fourth anniversary... Fidel Martinez of DailyDot.com wrote a story outlining four Kickstarter projects that changed online economics. <clears throat> Number one was Drawing for Dollars. Kickstarter launched on April 28, 2009. Five days later, the platform had its first successfully funded campaign, which raised $35. And it was called Drawing for Dollars, and it was a gentleman who liked to draw. So he put up some ideas and said, do you think I should draw this? And if you do, fund me. And he was funded with his $35, so he drew that project or drew that image for people. The number two Kickstarter project in this particular story was Veronica Mars. When the Veronica Mars movie Kickstarter project launched in mid-March 2013, it became the fastest on the crowdfunding site to break the $1 million mark, doing so in four hours with the help of more than 14,000 backers. The success of the project, it ended up raising $5.7 million, was a huge victory that further proved the power of modern fandom. Here were more than 91,000 people chipping in to resurrect, in the form of a movie, a popular and canceled television show. Project number three, Double Fine Adventure. No stick, no stick, no Kickstarter campaign is perfect, but Double Fine Adventure, which is now called Broken Age, comes pretty damn close. In February 2012, legendary video game developers Tim Schafer and Ron Gilbert and their studio Double Fine Productions took to Kickstarter to raise $400,000 to make a point-and-click video game. The project went gangbusters, raising more than $3.3 million. In addition to being the first project to surpass the $2 million mark, Double Fine Adventure also helped propel gaming as the most popular and most funded category on Kickstarter. In 2012 alone, more than $83 million was pledged to game projects. And Kickstarter project number four is called Eyes, E-Y-E, 
Z. Carlos Becerra and his company Zionize successfully raised $343,415 from 2,106 backers to make Eyes, a high-tech pair of spectacles that would record footage and upload it to Facebook. Two years have passed and contributors are still waiting on rewards that will likely never come, making this the biggest scam ever pulled on Kickstarter. The unfortunate scenario made it clear that crowdfunding that the crowdfunding company did not have its users' backs. It has yet to intervene in any meaningful way. Kickstarter wasn't set up to police the projects so much. They have some, some rules and regulations in place to try to make sure people are aware of the risks. And in fact, after the Eyes project failed... Um, the company revisited its accountability policies and announced that the introduction of a risks and challenges section to every campaign description, effectively, effectively slapping a big buyer beware sticker on the site. So Kickstarter is not going to guarantee any projects come to fruition that are launched on Kickstarter. They are going to do their best to make some guidelines up front that bring in projects that have a stronger chance of success in some ways, but they're not going to police that. They're not going to guarantee that funds go to where they should go to, but they're going to warn you that with any donation as with any investment, there are no guarantees that projects will be successful or that projects will even be be carried out to the extent that they are described. So buyer beware on Kickstarter, but Kickstarter in its four years of existence has really started to make some significant changes to how projects are funded and who is supporting the projects that are being produced. That will do it for episode number five of Unrelated Things. I hope you enjoyed it enough to come back again. So please subscribe and watch for future episodes. And you can find find out more about Unrelated Things at unrelatedthings.net. And also follow Unrelated Things on Twitter or on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. Unrelated things. things.